This is The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner on Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. On today's episode, we're talking about The Betrothed by Anton Chekhov. It's easy to feel daunted by the idea of talking about Chekhov's work because we admire him so much and because so much has already been said by other scholars and writers. But we're going to take the plunge. Unlike the runaway bride protagonist Nadia in today's story, and by the way, the title of that story has been translated variously, The Bride, Fiancé, and The Betrothed. Chekhov is credited with having profoundly influenced the evolution of the modern short story. So what is it that Chekhov offers? It's complicated, but in the story The Betrothed, as we'll discuss, it has to do with a very obvious, common, though no less mysterious issue plaguing one or another character. In his study of the short story The Lonely Voice, Frank O'Connor writes that all stories are about loss. Something is lost or missing. The protagonist is in search of something but doesn't know what, and that's the whole problem. Frank O'Connor wrote that all human beings, even brothers, are ultimately separate. Stories show us that we humans deal with all the things we cannot understand, and sometimes we do so in mysterious, unusual, even strange ways, and we're lonely when we do it separate, lonely. The real key to the short story is to reveal the mystery about why people do the things they do. Sometimes, perhaps most times, the details are very plain and realistic. Chekhov understood this too, to the point of being criticized, as short story writers are, for writing about nothing. But it's not nothing to, as short story scholar Charles E. May asserts, focus on a single situation in which everyday reality is broken up by a crisis. The Chekhovian way in short fiction is to allow objective details, odd or ordinary ones, to communicate complex states of feeling. Consider another story by Anton Chekhov, the story Misery, with the subtitle, To Whom Shall I Tell My Grief?, in which Iona is a sledge driver, a driver of one of those horse and buggy cabs, With every fare he picks up, he feels this unrelenting need to share the tragic news that his son has just died, but no one wants to hear it. Also, importantly, the grief is incommunicable. Iona feels a primal need to express his sorrow, to say it out loud, to reveal it, to grab it by the scruff. The story becomes that control as the author Chekhov holds it, and while it bucks and protests, we look closely. He pulls it out of the cab or out of the stable where Iona feeds his horse and into the light and says to us, here, can you see it? And we do, in a way, we do. An objective detail, even this pitiful lack of communication, communicates the most complex feelings. It doesn't solve anything, But the thirst for speech is quelled for us, the readers, and helps us consider how the most profound mysteries about these poor, lonely people can connect us. In the story The Deer by Peter Orner, a young girl is watching a deer that is stuck in a lagoon at low tide, chased there by a mountain lion. She was only a kid, writes Orner, but as she watched the deer out there alone, she knew almost right away that this was something she'd carry the rest of her life. 
A tourist had called the fire department, and the assistant chief has no way to comprehend his first move in the matter. What do you want me to do about it, he asks. Go out there and get kicked in the head? As the girl watches the surreal display, she realizes that, quote, so much of what she remembers became lodged this way. Something occurs in the motion of the present, but it's already over. Because even then, even as she watched, she was already moving away from it, already thinking how years from now she might tell someone about this, the details about the paralyzed deer, the simmering quiet distress, the rescue worker giving up, but the memory will stay lodged there in the darkness of her mind, the inexplicable silent terror, the dreadful knowledge of situations that can never be resolved, that can only end in loss for the character, of innocence, say, of invulnerability. The mysteries of life that connect humanity will rise up with the reader, Today's story by Anton Chekhov is The Betrothed, the author's last completed story, published in 1903, a year before his death from tuberculosis. The protagonist is Nadia, a young woman engaged to be in a loveless marriage that she narrowly avoids by doing what runs counter to our expectations for a story set in Russia at the turn of the century. She leaves. She runs away, leaves her small provincial space, for St. Petersburg to go to school. Urging her on to commit this act, which unmoors her mother and paternal grandmother, is distant relative Sasha, a fascinating character who's highly educated but doesn't do much in his life because he's disabled by tuberculosis. In her mother Nina, Nadia sees a future she cannot accept, a woman growing older and relying on the goodwill of her mother-in-law because her husband has died a woman who immerses herself in books about romantic love that leave her weeping inconsolably even when she hasn't read the entire story. Nadia also stammers through her own ennui, never fully articulating what ails her, which is, as we know, the prospect of marrying Andre, a man who seems able-bodied but still disinclined to do very much with his time or his life. She wants to avoid living her days in the unkempt rooms of a house where she will read about life but won't live it, where she will look up one day and be as old as her mother, still crying through the sad parts and never quite committing to the whole of anything. But no one in the story ever says any of this, of course. In our own lives, we don't often walk around telling each other what the trouble is. Most times we don't even have the words. We are as stifled as Iona, or the girl watching the deer in the dark night. In today's story, it's Sasha who emerges as another kind of mystery, one who seems finally to have the power to influence others to tap into their own unspoken desires and a brand of resolve that is pure action. And here is Chekhov, again, as Sasha, holding what T.S. Eliot called the objective correlative, saying, Look here. Do you see this too? We do see but we also see the ways the characters in the story can't express the truest of their problems, their losses, what's missing, what makes them these lonely voices with perhaps no one to listen to them, except, for us readers, with our senses primed for everything. To whom shall I tell my grief? asks the girl on her bike in Peter Orner's story. 
out there on the path along the edge of Murch's farm? To whom shall I tell my grief, asks that lonely father after losing his son. He speaks it into the ear of his faithful horse at the end of a day of driving the insensible, unhearing talkers. The horse chomps on her hay and breathes on the poor man's empty hands as he talks to her and tells her to imagine losing her own dearest little one, asking her if she can imagine feeling that insuperable loss too. Peter Orner and I discuss now The Betrothed by Anton Chekhov. What do you think about her? What do you think about this Nadia? Who isn't Nadia? Yeah. You know, who isn't indecisive? Who doesn't know what choice to make? The important ones, the unimportant ones. You know, she's somebody who is, uh, is the story opens with her, you know, she's engaged. She's engaged to this, I think, pretty hilarious minor <laughs> character. I mean, utterly minor. Like this, that's why I think the, the later translations, I kind of, whether Constance Garnett was correct in, in calling it betrothed, it, it strikes me as being kind of more active, almost like a, like, is it like a verb to be betrothed, you know, uh-huh. like a verb rather than the sort of like the fiance or the bride is, which is how, um, which is some of the other, which is the most recent translation. Uh, it seems to me that, that she is um, somebody who's uh, engaged to be married. And like a lot of people, she thinks that's a bad idea. And that's up very upfront. At the beginning of the story, she doesn't quite know why it's a bad idea. And by the end of the story, she absolutely knows why it's a bad idea. But it's so ordinary. It's so beautifully ordinary, this story. I like the, the idea that, that Andre has the same name as his father. Because that didn't necessarily have to be the case. Of course, it's a common thing to do that, to uh, have a father and son share the same name. But I just feel like, oh, yeah, that's so kind of perfect. I and mean, were you a little confused by Nadia and Nina, too? I had to go back and forth. I had to finally be like, wait, which one's Nina and which one's Nadia? Like, I, who's the mom and who's the I have you know, had the to bride? do that. I have. I don't know what it, why that is, but I have had to do that. And, you know, Sasha's the standout. yeah. And, you know, from the very beginning of the story, we already know that, that Nadia feels like crying. And she's 23. Since the age of 16, she had longed passionately for marriage, as one does perhaps at the age of 16. And now at last she was engaged, and suddenly mm, she's not sleeping well, she's moody, she's restless. So things are, things are getting strange right away for first page, you know, third paragraph. And I also paid a lot of attention, I think as people do, to the, the sounds in the story. There's a lot of noise. There are frogs croaking in the second paragraph. And, you know, as you know, there, there will be other, th- other noises throughout. But already from the outset... There's this connection between her listlessness and these noises. And it's noise. It's like an intrusion on her space. We're out in a provincial town. A lot of Chekhov stories take place in these places, you know, where there's, you know, and these are fairly well, well off people. And, um, 
you know, she's going to get married to a local guy. That paragraph you mentioned, she, Nadia, was 23. Ever since she was 16, she had been passionately dreaming of marriage. And at last, she was engaged to Andre. I mean, he could make this easier, but he doesn't. The young man who was standing on the other side of the window, she liked him. <laughs> she liked him. The wedding was already fixed for July 7th. And yet there was no joy in her heart. She was sleeping badly. Her spirits drooped. Again, I, you know, and there's so much. And we've been, we tried to be not hyperbolic. You used to be hyperbolic about Chekhov, but I will say that 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 his ability to sort of undercut himself in a line is demonstrated here. You know, she liked him, and then the wedding was already fixed for July 7th, and yet there was no joy in her heart. She was sleeping badly. Her spirits drooped. It's just like completely, <laughs> you know, like the story is right there. She thinks she likes him. She thinks she's, this is a good idea. But then why is her, why is she sleeping badly and why are her spirits drooping? Yeah. And then there's people rushing about, knives clattering, door banging. And it's just not, the noise continues. <laughs> and she felt that life would go on forever like this, never changing. And a lot of the clattering and a lot of the noise, not the frogs and other noise, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're preparing for the wedding. Yeah. Which is, I guess, in a month or so. I always try to look at what each section, uh, and that it's divided by Roman numerals, it, what each section is is doing. You know, I try to sort of see how the little, the how the beads connect to make one thing. Um so there's there's some really good setting up of things of characters and the situation and and Sasha of course and and um, his presence in their lives. So immediately he's he's complaining that no one does anything immediately. And when he talks about Nadia's mother, she's a good woman in her own way. Your mother's very kind and charming, of course, but. How can I put it? Early this morning, I popped into the kitchen and four of the servants were asleep on the bare floor. They don't have beds. Instead of bedding, all they have is rags, stench, bugs, cockroaches. It's all exactly the same as 20 years ago. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. But who the hell is Sasha? (laughs) (laughs) Sasha is, you know, he's 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 the son of a distant relative who's kind of become a member of the family. Yeah. Because uh, her, the distant relative was poor and the grandmother um, helped out the distant relative by sending this Sasha to university and then to art school, I guess. You know, and also he comes there for months at a time and kind of sits around because he's <laughs> convalescing because he's ill. Yeah. So he is just and again, it's tempting to think of, you know, like the doctor character in in uh in, in in uncle vanya um and you know the cherry orchard has a bunch has a couple of characters like this at least but but i do think that sasha is, is unique in a way because he's such i mean he's so opinionated you know like uncle vanya himself like so opinionated and yet you know and yet what what is he doing for himself yeah to improve his own lot like so sasha's you know a little bit of a freeloader in this family, and in in I mean, everybody loves him. I love him too, um, and I agree with the things he says. He's right. The, the servants should not be sleeping on the floor, but 
Sasha has long been in position to maybe speak up about that and hasn't. So he's just idly talking. And that's what's so great about this. He, he isn't, and, 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 you know, again, I'm, the temptation to go off about Chekhov, and I won't, but he, there are no heroes Mm-mm. in this story, <laughs> except for Nadia herself. And I, I would say that if there is a hero, it's her. But, you know... <laughs> Like, she's not a very heroic hero. (laughs) What I like about Sasha's character is that he he really is this intelligent person. You know, he's an astute person. He's observant. And, you know, he, he says what he says. And he's very opinionated. But I find that he's so, he's so complex in ways that in real life, you know, people who have these qualities, um, I I love them very much, and and they get on my last nerve quicker than anybody else. So it's it's sort of like I so admire him and the things that he admires, and 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 that he's you know that he asserts himself in these situations, and he likes what he likes, and he he doesn't seem like a dilettante. I feel like he really believes these things. But then in other moments, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, he's sort of um, showing this other side of him that sort of weakens that part of his character for me. So I, so I sort of feel like Nadia does, like um, like maybe he ain't all that. But but then no, but but he is. But and people are, and then people are flawed. People are great, and and we love them, and then they show another side, and they're just human. So. That's the thing about him. And I and I wonder all the time as I'm reading the story, is he this way because he's is does he have these flaws because he's sick? Or is he is he incapable of doing more because he really doesn't believe the things that he is saying? Here he can't put them into action. I would love to think it's the former, but I suspect it's the latter. And And that's what I love about that we don't know. And it's so complicated. I think, yeah, I think he's not capable of action. But what seems to excite him is action in other people. And that strikes me as being (laughs) a particularly uh, singular characteristic. Like I can't. Like, I'm sure there's other Chekhov characters like this, but there's something. So so basically what Sasha wants is for Nadia to chuck the fiancé and go to Petersburg and become a student. We know nothing about what Nadia might be interested in. We just know that, I mean, presumably Sasha knows something about Nadia and says, you know, and and, and he seems to be right. I mean, she's like, that's what I want to do. I want to go to Petersburg and I want to become a student. But I think what I'm thinking a lot about this last couple of days, like this is the final story. Now, granted, he died at 44. He wasn't necessarily planning on dying. He didn't plan this as his last story. So I I don't want to read too much into it. But I think, you know, this is the end of the line. And I think that in, in some ways, it's in some ways it does tell us kind of where he is at at this point. Chekhov. And I think where he's at is that is that he's he's looking for a story in places that even he may have thought 
they weren't. It, I, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say, I mean, he's famous for saying, give me an ashtray, I'll write a story about an ashtray. <laughs> you know, he's right about, you know, he could write, just, he could take any, any, you just walk outside his door and there was a story, there was a character, there was, there was a something. And I think at this point, anybody would be forgiven reading the story for the first time to think it's a love story between Sasha and Nadia. Yeah. And yet that's not what happens at all. They run away together on the train, but that's only because Sasha's helping her leave this patrol situation and take off to Petersburg. But he, they're not interested in each other in, in, in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I, I think that there's something so wonderful about that he doesn't take that story opportunity I, that he realized, no, you know, I don't need that. I, I just, I, I'm going to have them be, have another kind of relationship. I love that too. I feel like Sasha doesn't have those feelings for her or any other person in the story and is so caught up maybe in just trying to stay alive and, um, you know, do the things that he wants to do, um, including visit this family. You know, he goes year after year. He has his own room, Sasha's room. He goes year right. after year. And that says something, you know, the grandmother ha- the grandmother's helped him, and he's a distant relative. This is his family in a way. And the idea of him... He's so critical of the of the women. I will say that, but he's very critical of the men too. And when she, you know, she has had to hear this criticism from him year after year. But this is the first time it feels different for her because she's about to be married, and she says, "You're always going too far." Just now, you said something about my Andre, for example, but you don't know him, do you? My Andre, and the penguin. Translation says, blow your Andre. It's your youth I feel sorry for. And, you know, the other translation has something like, you know, forget him or something. <laughs> I've got my Andre. Bother him, your Andre. I'm sorry for your youth. <laughs> Virginia Woolf said, like, that Chekhov can survive anything, including bad translation. You know, and I think that it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the exact wording of the translation. I'm sorry for your youth. Oh, yeah. Like that, that hits home. That hits hard. It does. Because the very next thing is as they entered the large dining room, everyone was already sitting down to supper. Grandmother, known as Granny by everyone in that house, was a very stout, ugly woman with bushy eyebrows and whiskers. This is the penguin. She spoke loudly, and it was plain from her voice and manner who was head of the house. I mean, it's <laughs> so it's the it is you you repeatedly see the Granny, the mother Nina. And, and Nadia in this house. And it's, uh, there's just constant reminders now for Nadia that this is what she's fated to be if she doesn't do something. Every time I read this, I, I try to look at it from the standpoint of cold feet. It's, she's having doubts, and that's so natural. Um, it's, it's a very normal kind of ordinary thing. And then you, you know, you hold your nose and you jump in (laughs) and you do it. But in this case, Sasha's actually introducing her to some ideas that appeal to her, though 
not having more information, you know, don't really see her loving these other sorts of things that she she's about to head off into uh, making a life with. You know, it's um, right. So it's very interesting. These are very complicated people. And and you know what I think. Like so, so again, at the beginning of the story, you kind of think that like a, a ton's at stake. Like, oh my God, she's you know what? What if she breaks this off, <laughs> right? What if she breaks off her relationship with Andre? And and you know, in thinking about the story, is it's not about that it, to me. It isn't. It, Andre has really almost nothing to do with it. In a way, you know, he. I mean, I think. You know, she so she it's no surprise. We're not ruining the story by saying she doesn't marry Andre because the story is really about what exactly. (laughs) But it isn't that it's not that I think. Yeah, I think it's about I think it's about Nadia. I think this is a story about Nadia. And again, not as a hero, almost as sort of like, yes, she does this kind of heroic thing. She's like, you know what? Screw it. I am not going to marry Andre. I'm going to get on the train and I'm going to go to uh, to Petersburg and go to university. Yes, because it's not even until part two that he plants the seed. He doesn't do that in part one. But the thing, the other thing that I'm struck by every time I look at this story is there's a lot of sleeping. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> of Nadia not sleeping. Nadia going into her mother's room and the mother's reading and crying. Yes. And the idea that that the mom is now beholden to Granny, who's her mother-in-law, because her husband has died. And it's there's this kind of implicit thing for Nadia that she, you know she's going to be having to rely on someone else. This was a foregone conclusion for women during this time period and in this place. And so she's a very different, unexpected kind of character. And that's, I think that's huge, right? Yeah. And that that would be, that in itself would make it an interesting story and maybe an important story. Mm -hmm. But I would argue pretty strongly that it wouldn't make it a, Chekhov story <laughs> like the story isn't I I, I I think the story is not wow this woman breaks convention it, it that's what happens true she does do it but I think the story is you know again I don't even know what I mean by what the story is but but this the essence of it the, the what makes it so great has nothing really not as much to do with what happens as much as it has to do with when those the, the scenes that you mentioned, when she goes and talks to her mother, this is before she has decided to leave. She says she goes into the mother, like you had said, at last Nina Ivanova appeared with a tear-stained face carrying a glass of mineral water. She was interested in spiritualism and homeopathy, read a great deal, was fond of talking of the doubts to which she was subject, and to Nadia it seemed as though there were a deep, mysterious significance in all of that. So she, she has this respect for her mother and her mother's, you know, kind of singularities, which are that she's into, um, into spiritualism and homeopathy. And then Nadia kissed her mother and walked beside her. This is when they're... Uh, 
Uh, this is at night when they're walking together. Mm-hmm. What have you been crying about, Mother? She asked. And this is my favorite. This might be my favorite exchange in the whole story. Last night, I was reading a story in which there is an old man and his daughter. This is the mother talking. The old man is in some office, and his chief falls in love with his daughter. I have not finished it. <laughs> she didn't finish the story. I have not finished it, but there was a passage which made it hard to keep from tears, said Nina Ivanova, and she sipped at her glass. I thought of it this morning and shed tears again. So the mother's talking about a half-read story about marriage, so you could argue that maybe it's like planted in here, but <laughs> I don't even think that. I just think it's what the mother happened to be reading. It's this story about you know, who knows? A chief falls in love with the daughter. I haven't finished it, but there was a passage which made it hard to keep in tears. So it's making her cry. <laughs> and then and then what what Nadia says after that is not asked about well what's the what was the scene? What's the story? What, what made you what made you cry? No. Nadia says, I have been so depressed all these days, said Nadia after a pause. Why is it I don't sleep at night? So they, they completely don't discuss the story that they just <laughs> that she just mentioned. Like they don't, it, you know, it, it it captures, I mean, who wants to hear about a story from, from her mom anyway? So I, I in, in a bad story, Nadia would have asked like, well, what was, what, ha- what made you cry in the story? But in, in this story, it goes right, blows right by. And then, and then the mother says, and then they actually start to talk because here's a practicality issue. What do you do when you can't sleep? The mother says, I don't know, dear. When I can't sleep, I shut my eyes very tightly like this and picture to myself Anna Karenina moving about and talking or something historical from the ancient world. <laughs> and, then, and then she kind of trails off and then Nadia goes in her own head and that's the end of the scene. But Nadia, it, so this translation says Nadia felt that her mother did not and could not understand her. But you know, the thing is, I feel like they are speaking the same language. Nina's always crying. Nina always has, you know, w- these wet eyes the, and the, you know, diamonds on her fingers. And she's always crying. And I feel like in that moment, when she says, this story made me cry. I mean, we all, we all are all moved by the stories that we read, but she's, there's something else going on. She didn't finish the story. She still moved to tears. Something else is up. And in that moment, Nadia can say, I'm miserable too. And of course, she doesn't say I'm miserable too. She says in this translation, I've been feeling so miserable lately. Why can't I sleep? She's, it's like she wedges in this simpatico, like this mirror thing, like me too, mom, you know, (laughs) the mom's crying. The, The mom will never be able to put her finger on exactly what's wrong. But Nadia's looking at Nina as the story progresses and only one year transpires. She sees her mom age and right. seems smaller. And that's a very difficult thing for us to see as adults. And we see ourselves. That's when we, we, we really see ourselves getting older too. And um, I, I see something, you know, if nothing is for nothing and everything means something, you know, I just see all these Chekhov's guns all over the place. But I, I see like, this idea of the mom is herself, and the mom's the one 
who's a little bit of a dilettante. I'm religious now, you know. Oh, I'm doing this other stuff now, <laughs> you know. And she's <laughs> trying yeah, different I'm, things. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah, she's trying different things and looking for her way. And everything is like just this uh, short lived kind of little hobby or interest. And she, you know, she sort of moves on, doesn't finish the story, you know. So I, I like that complexity too. I, there's, there's not a single character in here that, that I can't stand. That's the other thing about Chekhov is I see them so flawed and so, all these different things in different way, in very different ways. And I just feel like, oh my gosh, he nailed it. I know someone like that, or, oh, that seems so plausible to me. And, oh, of course the granny's like that or whatever. I just, it, it, it just moves the, you know, the whole fan girl side of me wide open again. I think just going back to this scene, it's hilarious to me that she doesn't finish the story. And, and I think I can't help but read into that. And, you know, like you said it, like the reason, one of the impetuses for her not wanting to get married is because she sees what happened to her mother, which is that they, she was in a loveless marriage and now the, um, the father died apparently. And then now she, the mother, Nina, is dependent on the grandmother. And so there's a, you know, you could argue that there's like a cause and effect or, or at least a, a, a suggestion that she doesn't want to turn into her mom. I, I see that. But I also just think that there's something so beautiful about the fact that Nina, the mother, cries about a story she hasn't finished. And it just strikes me as being like, Chekhov knows you don't have to finish the story because it's not about what happens. <laughs> it's about something. It's about some moment that gets you. You know, and, and, and that's what happens to Nina. Some moment has gotten her. It's in, in you know, it all, as often happens, you read it, you read something in fiction and it, it, it strikes a chord and it shatters you. And I feel like that's what happened to Nina. But like Chekhov is so, it's so beautiful. He doesn't even tell us what it was. And, okay. and, and, and Nadia doesn't ask. It's just, it, it just is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. So it's like, it's not what happened. It's, it happened. It's not what happened, but that it happened. It's like what's what's moving Nadia to uh, Saint Petersburg. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what specific thing. It's that it happened. It's that it happened that she broke the cycle to use the uh, the vernacular of today. But yeah, I just feel like that's what this story, like the story she didn't finish reading that made her cry. I don't know, but it, when a story carries me away like that, I want to finish reading it and and then go and tell somebody about it. But it's sort of like, it, that's not the point for the mother. And and, 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 and like you say, she, she it isn't, I mean, we need her to go to Petersburg, but in another inferior story that would kind of, be like this sort of opening up this great this great opening up of freedom mm-hmm. you know etc and and, and and here's this hilarious passage of Sasha this is before she's made the decision to go if only you would go to the university he said only enlightened and holy people are interesting it's only they who are wanted the more of such people there are the sooner the kingdom of God will come on earth of your town, then not one stone will be left. 
Everything will be blown up from the foundations. Everything will be changed as though by magic. And then there will be immense, magnificent houses here, wonderful gardens, wonderful fountains, remarkable people. But that's not what matters most. What matters most is that the crowd, in our sense of the word, in the sense in which it exists now, that evil will not exist then because every man will believe and every man will know what he is living for and no one will seek moral support in the crowd. Dear Nadia, darling girl, go away. Show them that you are sick of this stagnant, gray, sinful life. Prove it to yourself at least. So, okay. All that starts from if you would go to the university, if you only go to the university, this there will be, you know, and, and only if other people will too. And God knows we know this isn't true, right? That they, they will have magnificence on earth, you know, and that this stagnant, you know, filthy town is going to be replaced by magnificence if only, you know, you follow the life of the mind. She does go. She does go. Of course, she says later on, in the, I think it's the next page, she even says to herself, this absurd speech is, and it's her, is an absurd speech. And yet there's something about it. There's something about Sasha pushing her to not get married. Again, not, not because he wants to get married to herself or be together with her or nothing like that. She, he seemingly wants her to have something that she may in fact want Mm -hmm. certainly she doesn't want to get married and he knows that so (laughs) but there's no straight up forward like like let's say in in a lesser story uh uh, sasha gave a reasonable speech like no you should go and study and then you know then you you know after that if you want to get married sure but at least you'll know like if you get married you won't be able to go study and that'll cut that off but you know what I mean? There's a way you could make that speech reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, instead, Sasha makes it almost insane. So it's like, <laughs> it's like that's what's making her. You know what I'm saying? This is yeah. nothing fits. It doesn't fit. And that's what's that's what I admire so much. But the and then in the very, very next section, she is with uh, Andre visiting their future house. Yes. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> so that. So what, happens what happens now? So he, he, they're looking at the place. They enter the dining room with all of its, you know, there's this, this, uh, I feel like there's this great energy and effort to describe very specific things. Half light. Two beds stood side by side, giving the impression that the room had been furnished with the intention that everything there would always be perfect and could never be otherwise. That alone is sort of like, but it it is the it gives the it gives the impression, but it's it's not true. That, that half light line and the beds in all of the I've got three translations here, none of which are the one you have, which is just shows you. Uh huh. I don't know what it shows you, but the people are still feeling the need to to translate this story it, yeah. it just i think that's a a sign of how alive it still is in the original and they just yeah. kind of keep chipping away at it but each of my translations here has um this the, the beds and then into the bedroom here in the half dusk stood two bedsteads side by side wow. and then another translation the half dusk is in a different part of the sentence but they use this word half dusk 
half light. Like we know that that, I mean, that's kind of the essence of the moment. She's seeing this place, which is sort of like, you know, it's pleasant, but there's something deadening about it in that half light, half dusk light Mm -hmm. that just, that chills her to the bone. In fact, there's, he's, he has his arm around her and at a later point, she describes that as being like held with an iron hoop. Yes, yak. He says um, he was holding her around the waist, talking to her so affectionately, so modestly. He was happy walking around his new house, but all she saw was vulgarity. This translation says stupid, fatuous, intolerable, vulgarity, and that arm around her waist seemed as hard and cold as an iron hoop. Every minute she was on the verge of running away, sobbing, throwing herself out of the window. And then he's like, look, water. <laughs> water. We have water in the bathroom and not even that. She's like, mm. He's particular about how much water, right? He says yes. <laughs> something like it's, it's got to get a, a 200 gallons I put in there. So we're going to have, you know, we have water. <laughs> so, you know, he's making this, their, this, this wedding's far, this relationship, this is far along. Like they've established this place that they're going to live in. It just sickens her. Which it doesn't sound like a necessarily bad place, although we didn't talk about the painting. Painting says it's by Sheminsky, as if as if she's supposed to know who that is. Some mediocre artist, a naked woman on the wall, and that you know, it's just it's you know, it's a she's gonna have a a middle class, upper middle class life in this provincial town, and and that's what it's gonna be. But I love but I, it. It's the, a naked lady with a broken handled vase. Just the idea of, of that, it's it's almost uh, too much. It's just too much. But again, an inferior writer would leave it at this. Like that Andre is an absurd character. He thinks he can't even see what's in front of him, which is that his, that his fiance has no interest in this life. He can't even notice that. He's hugging her. He's, having a, he's just having a great time. He's like, isn't this going to be great? You know, and then, but then there's this, this bizarre shift that that surprises me, surprised me a number of times over the weekend. Like, what happens then? What does he say then? When he says uh, something like, "Do you remember when Sasha said I didn't want to do anything?" He's right. Like you just don't <laughs> expect that of of the, of the fiance. Like Andre, you know. He's like, "This is going to be great. We're going to have this nice life. We're going to settle down and have babies." Right? He doesn't say that at all. He says, Sasha's right about me. I, I do nothing. I do nothing. And what's his solution to that? He actually says, you know what? We're going to buy some land. We're going to buy some land and we're going to go out there and we're going to work that land. And that's going to be our life, which, you know, sounds a little better than the, than the living in the apartment with the painting. And it, and it also, it gives Andre, Andre is not, you know, one dimensional. He's 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 absurd, but then he's absurd in a totally different way, which to me makes him, you know, multidimensionally absurd. Yeah, because when he says that part, you can't even be excited that they're going to go move to the country and work the land. I feel like right, that's that, is, that ain't ever going to happen. <laughs> she has no no. She didn't say anything. Right? She doesn't say anything. All she all she's thinking is, God, I wish I were home. Part four is for me. Immediately after that section, part four is all about noise and the hobgoblin in the stove, the sounds coming out of the stove. She does see, she does mention her mother's 
A. Jean, and she says, with her hair done up in a single plate and smiling timidly. This is the, the penguin translation. Her mother looked older, uglier, and shorter on that stormy night. Nadia recalled how not long ago she had looked on her mother as an extraordinary woman and had listened proudly to her every word, but now she could not remember those words. Everything that came to mind was so feeble and useless. This whole, the whole section is, oh, this is a very tough section for me to read because it fe- part of me feels like, wow, she's being really hard on the, on the mom. But the other part of me feels like, no, this is the next logical movement for this character who is opening her eyes and, and coming to some difficult uh, observations that are all too real. She's being very honest. This is the pivotal section, but again, not in a cause and effect kind of way, but Mm-mm. just like she's reached the, she, she went to that apartment and that was it. I mean, come on, it wasn't going to happen. She can't, she can't go live there. But as you say, it takes a great deal of strength to, to buck that, you know? And so she's still, she's still at it. She's still trying to get, gather that strength. Yeah. And, you know, going to, to, um, uh, you know, see her mother is part of it. And then what does she do? She goes and sees Sasha again and has another conversation with Sasha. This time, you know, basically saying what Sasha's been waiting to hear, you know, which is, I'm sick of this life, Nadia went on. I can't endure another day here. Tomorrow I'm going away. Take me with you for God's sake. And then, you know, here I'm going to get hyperbolic, but I'm going to say this is one of the great paragraphs in Chekhovian history, right here. For a minute, Sasha looked at her in astonishment. At last, he understood and was delighted as a child. Okay, fine. He waved his arms, and this is the line. He waved his arms and began pattering with his slippers as though he were dancing with delight. He's like, he's, he, I, I envision him sitting and he's just, you know, doing a little pitter pat with his, with his slippers. It's, <laughs> this is, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to explain why it's so great, but it is, you know, it, you know, it, it anti-heroic mom, right? You think they would, he'd get up and they dance around the room, something just oh, a little. But before that, when when the mother says, "Let's see, please leave me alone, mother, please stop, Nadia." Yes, Nina Ivanovna said after a brief silence. Not long ago, you were a child, just a little girl, and now you're going to be married. This transmutation of matter is constantly taking place in nature. Without even noticing it, you'll be a mother yourself, then an old lady, and then you'll have a stubborn little daughter like I have. That, that's such a moment of honesty from the mother. The mother is saying, this is going to happen. This transmutation of matter is constantly taking place in nature, and it, it, it is so slow that nobody notices. It's like watching the grass grow. Nobody notices, and then boom, you're there, and then it's over. And so that's when she's sort of like, this is it. The painting, the, the, <laughs> the cold iron, whatever hand the guy has uh, he he doesn't want to do anything he admitted it and then the mother's the mother's really coming clean here and saying i know i know what i'm talking about i live this this is what's going to happen to you 
And next, you know, she's running into Sasha's but room. Let's pause, let's, let's pause there because I think, I think what you're saying, I mean, what I, what I think is it's such a weird thing is the mother saying it's fairly wise. Oh yeah. Right? Yes. But why does it also sound hilarious to me? <laughs> like, and, and literally both at the same time. It's absurd. I mean, the, the continual transmutation, like what? Oh, that <laughs> wording, yeah. Or something? You know, of substances. You mother yourself and an old woman. I mean, that, okay. It's a beautiful notion, actually. And yet, of course, it repulses <laughs> Nadia. <laughs> but she says, my darling, my sweet, you're clever, you know. You are unhappy. You're very unhappy. Why do you say such dull, commonplace <laughs> So she completely, you know, it's, it's this undercutting. Yeah. You know, I was sitting there, not, what, a, what a wise mother. And then Nadia's like, come on, this is bullshit. But she's still saying, mother, but listen to me. And then Nina says, you and your grandmother are torturing me. I want some life. Some life. She repeated, striking herself twice on the chest with her fist. Give me my freedom. I'm still young. I want some life. But you two yeah. have made an old woman out of me. That's that is tough. Yeah. You know, the story is as much about the mother as it is about Nadia in a lot of ways. It's a sad, sad story. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't want to cut to the chase too much, but we're probably getting to that point. You know, I mean, she does leave, right? She leaves with Sasha. They take off. And there isn't any dramatic scene or nothing. I mean, she just leaves in the morning. Grandmother says, actually, there's no room for you. And, and for some <laughs> reason, then Sasha just says, you know, get in the car, get in the cart, carriage. And they go off to the tr you know, train and that's it. She's gone. And so presumably there was a huge explosion when the when the marriage didn't happen but that's not where the story goes and it's raining when nadia leaves the mother's asleep right and she kisses her mother smooths her, her hair and stands there for a couple of seconds a couple of minutes in this translation and that's the last moment between mother and daughter before everything life as they know it will change forever that was it the mother has to be asleep but then I wonder if you think that life actually does change. No. I mean, it changes. <laughs> she doesn't, she does not have to be in that apartment with that painting. That's a hundred percent true. But does it, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like my, I mean, talk about cliche advice. My friends always say, you know, you travel, you think you're going to like feel better when you travel, but you have to, you bring yourself. Right. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, you're right. But that's kind of like Nadia. <laughs> Nadia doesn't, stop being Nadia just mm -mm. because she makes this move. But she can never go home again. Right, but then she does. <laughs> well, <laughs> but she's, but she's, she has Section changed. Six, right? <laughs> but she has changed, I think. Yes, I agree. Okay, I but, agree. but you're right, because there were moments when I, I remember recalling that, sen that feeling, and even when I read it recently of like, I couldn't remember. I thought she does. <laughs> she's not going to stay there, is she? Because it's so easy just to fall into the old routines, especially when you see that things haven't changed that much in the last year. 
it just is it would be so easy to just fall back in and she did feel homesick yeah yeah and 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 she you know there's the great i mean we didn't talk about you said the rain I, you maybe could could we read a little bit of the before she as she's leaving I mean, this may need to go earlier but the rain pattered on the carriage windows nothing could be seen but the green fields the telegraph posts with birds sitting on the wires flitted by, and joy made her hold her breath, and she thought she was going to freedom, going to study, and this was just what used to, ages ago, to be called going off to be a free Cossack. Hmm. She laughed and cried and prayed all at once. It's all right, Sasha said, smiling. It's all right. And, you know, of course, the story doesn't end there, but as you say, her life as she knows it does end. There's no question about it. It's just that I think that I think that Chekhov isn't, that's not what he's after either. No. <laughs> like he's not. No. You know, this is such a moving target. Yeah. You know, and Yoko writer, sure, that's what they'd be after. Yeah, that's why and it's. Free. Yeah. And the idea that it's uh, Sasha who's leading this and encouraging her and, you know, patting her knee and telling her it's going to be okay. And yet we we know as we keep reading that they are not going to be around each other in the in the ensuing months. Right. And she, he stops in Moscow and she goes on to Petersburg. Yeah. The end the last five pages of the story are just just astounding to me. That that and, and I think that, you know, Sasha is very important to this story, but not in the ways that we might think. I I was putting Chekhov in the place of Sasha. And that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. But I know that when he was writing this story for, you know, for months and months in 1903, um, he was dying. I mean, he was, you know, slowly but surely he's dying of consumption just as Sasha is in this story. And, and, and Sasha, you know, he does this one great thing in his life. He, he, he convinces Nadia to go and be, be free. And, but then, then there's this scene that they have when she visits him in Moscow. And, and, and he's like, you know, I, I have these friends and I, there's this woman and I'm trying to convince her to be free, just kind of like I convince you to be. Free. <laughs> he's kind of in the business of, giving, of trying to get people free. And, you know, I, I can't not make the, make, have the thought that Chekhov saw himself a little bit like this, kind of useless, kind of lazy, kind of a big talker, you know, but 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 in the freedom business in terms of like giving bestowing freedom upon other people. Is that I mean, that might be, you know, I don't know, that might be a crazy or be said 100 million times already. No, but I think it's worth repeating. I, I really do. Like every time we come back into the story, if all of these same things are still occurring to us, I think we should say them. But what do you make of that, where he says, I've been trying to persuade her to go and study. I want her life to be transformed. So, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, that, it, that he's on this mission <laughs> to do this, because he's, he's not going to be around to do it. And people like Andre are too lazy, you know, so somebody's got to you know, right. And, you know, and just, I mean, think of it. I mean, Chekhov has you know, died at 44 in 1904. It's now 2020. We're still talking about him, not like he's some relic. Mm -hmm. 
you know, historical relic teaching us about a time period. Um, you know, it's you know, how many people do we know willingly get trapped every day? Of, you know, and I mean this, and and he's still like freeing people, like, you know, like they reach out. I don't know if people read Chekhov and run away from their husbands or what, I don't know. <laughs> but I just think that, I just think that there is this sort of notion that, you know, you don't have to live in that house with the painting. You don't have to live in with those two, those beds, you know, and, and there's something just so basic about that. And God knows, you know, every artist says this, says this too, but there's something about the way that he, says it again not as a hero sasha's not a hero in the story even though he said he 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 seems to kind of set things in motion or at least the suggestion i mean if sasha wasn't around i don't think she would have married andre anyway so i actually don't necessarily think that sasha is the pivot on which on which she d dumps andre but he certainly doesn't hurt he doesn't mm -hmm. he helps mm -hmm. you know? um and then so back at home, where there, are, it seems like things have things have remained the same, except to her eyes, to Nadia's eyes, the ceiling seemed to have gotten lower. There are flies. I, She's noticing other things that are different. Right. Everything in that town struck her as ancient, obsolete. Either it was awaiting its own demise, or perhaps some fresh beginning. Um, oh, if only that bright new life would come quickly, then one could face one's destiny boldly, cheerful, and free in the knowledge that one was right. That life would come sooner or later. Surely the time would come when not a trace would remain of grandmother's house, where four servants were forced to live in one filthy basement room. It would be forgotten, erased from the memory. You know, it's she. she is still hearkening back, right back to... Sasha's criticism of uh, of that place, and and here's where it occurs to me that you know arguably the most remarkable thing of all happens, and that is that does it Chekhov undermines the pessimism of the story with optimism, so that ultimately it lands on on a soaring a kind of a sense of soaringness. You know, the truth that this is all going to go away. Grandma's not long for this world and, you know, and her mother's going to follow close behind her. But 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 Nadia, what is she going to do? She went upstairs to her own room to pack and next morning said goodbye to her family and full of life and high spirits left the town as she supposed forever. I don't read that ironically. I read that straight up. I, re I read that and, and, you know, find me an ending of Chekhov that's like that. Mm. You know, so did he know this was going to be his last story? I don't think he did, but he wasn't starting a new one after December 1903, as far as I can tell. So, you know, I, I think I think there's a strong argument to be made that, you know, that he wanted his last story statement. I mean, the, the complication is this is never neat and it's not neat because then the cherry orchard which you might argue ends on a more darker note, for sure, is a different statement. But I, I read the, the last line of his fiction as being sort of like, go forth into the world, Nadia. 
Anton Chekhov is the author of The Betrothed. We shared excerpts from the translations by Constance Garnett, S.S. Koteliansky, and Gilbert Kanan. Peter Orner is the author of the story collection Maggie Brown and Others. The story The Deer is published in that collection. He's the author of five other books. The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner is inspired by the memoir and essays Am I Alone Here? Notes on Reading to Live and Living to Read by Peter Orner. Peter Orner holds the professorship in English and Creative Writing at Dartmouth College. This has been The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner from Book Public on Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. We had help this week from David Martin Davies. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>